Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome. This is Just Human number 178, and it's Monday. Happy Monday to all of you. Hope you're having a good one, or that you will have a good one. I'm feeling a bit awake. I've had more than one cup of coffee after maybe maybe five hours of sleep. Um, last night, Burning Bright and I went a little bit long with our stream, and it was really good. We had a great episode of Defected, which I hope you will check out if you find the time um, and you're interested. We added this. We mostly focused on the balloon and everything about the balloon, uh, but we focused on it from the angle of it's a psyop and what does this psyop mean and who is behind this psyop and who is the aud- audience that is being targeted by this psyop and uh, well, psy act in support of a psyop. Um, and we had a very lengthy discussion about it. Um, I really enjoyed it. And then we got into some other stuff. We talked about China and Ukraine and we talked about Devo and and just an assortment of things. Uh, we ended up finishing the show on more of a, um, a spiritual note and, uh, yeah, it was a great discussion. So if you are interested, defected episode 12, it's a pretty good show. At the very beginning, there was a bit of a uh, comedy routine as um, Burning Bright and I couldn't hear each other, but the audience could hear us talking. So we spent the first five minutes or so having audio problems. Um, and then later on, we got kicked out of StreamYard, or I think I got kicked out of StreamYard. Um, in the end, I think we have decided that Balloon is... There's about five different spellings of balloon. And the only thing we can agree on is that we should just call it a sky circle. Um, and that it's nothing to be worried about. It's just a psyop. And, uh, yeah, pretty good episode. I, I enjoyed it and it went very, very long, (laughs) but burning bright and I have a difficult time finding a stopping point. Uh, in fact, we didn't stop talking after the show. We, uh, we kept talking. Um, so over on Badlands Media, defected episode 12. (laughs) Now, something else about Badlands Media. I want to tell you that we're going to have an event in Chandler, Arizona, uh, very, very much like we did with Threadfest. Only this is going to be a Badlands event and it's on April 20th through 23rd. Tickets are now on sale. Um, in-person tickets are very limited. There's like I don't know, like 200, 250 tickets uh, for in-person. But virtual tickets are now on sale to where we're going to be streaming the whole event. Um, I plan on speaking. Burning Bright plans on speaking. Basically, all the whole Badlands crew is going to be there, and it's going to do either speaking, uh, solo presentations, or I know there's going to be panels. I know I'll definitely be on at least one panel. So if you're interested... You can go to Linktree slash Badlands Media, or if you just type in badlandsmedia.net, you'll find this website and you can get tickets to it. Um, I'm really looking forward to this event. I will be there in person and uh, I like Arizona. I've had, uh, it's, it's a beautiful state and I love meeting people who are in this community. It's like, that's my favorite thing about both Threadfest events has been that I've gotten to put names and faces together and shake hands and give out hugs and just chat with 
all of you guys who are in the community that I, I get to see y'all in the chat and I get emails from y'all and all these, all these things and, um, interact with you on Twitter and, and, uh, true social. Um, it's just so, it's so nice. It really does something for your spirit to be able to meet people in person and, and chat with them. So I'm really looking forward to this event because I get to meet you guys and hang out with y'all. All right, today, oh, one more thing, one more thing. From last week on a Friday, where I did the uh, the dig into DOJ's doc, the FBI 302 that they reclassified, I went ahead and clipped that out and put it over on Rumble on my Clips channel right here, Just Human Clips. Um, <coughs> pardon me. If you're interested in this, I think it's one of the better segments I've done. And I think I'm really onto something here that this document was reclassified because it's now part of an active investigation all over again. Uh, so if you're interested or you think somebody would benefit from this dig, um, the video is over there on my clips channel that you can share with them. I don't even remember how long it is. How long is it? 30 minutes, 30 minutes on the dot. Um, 30 minute video and I take you through this document and why I think about why I think of it the way I do. And also it's kind of a, um, well, it is, it's kind of a teaching. It is a teaching, um, or a teachable moment as Rush would say, because I take you through how I break down this document and how I come to that conclusion. So you can take what I do in this video and you can apply it to other documents and, what I reference in order to figure out what is going on with why with this document in particular and why it was reclassified. So um, it's not just me giving my opinion. It's me taking you through my work and research process. So anyway, it's from last Friday's video. If you missed that show, I do this in the last hour of the show, I think. Um, so you can find it there or you can find it on my clips channel. Okay. <clears throat> I apologize if I'm if I cough quite a bit through this episode. Um I am feeling way I'm feeling so much better than I have felt like in several weeks. Um thank you to everybody who made some recommendations on various vitamins and supplements and different over the counter stuff I could get. Um I got it all. And I've now been taking all of it for over a week. Uh, so the a lot of the supplements I've been taking for about two weeks. Uh, and, but then Joanne Pappas recommended uh, some no stuff in particular, some spray that I've been using and um, it's really helping and I'm feeling a lot better. Now I'm still, I'm, I'm having to cough quite a bit. And so I'm apologize for clearing my throat. And if a cough, I'll try to remember hit the mute, my mic. Um, but it was in defected last night. It was starting to catch up with me at the end of the stream. Um, so I'm worried this morning, I'm probably going to be doing that some, but it's the sign of me getting better. Uh, I think that I have had a case of walking pneumonia and, um, maybe, maybe I've, managed to kick my immune system into gear into beating that. 
Um, I'm really hopes. I really hope so. I can tell you that I feel better. Um, as of yesterday, I started feeling like orders of magnitude better than I have felt in the past couple weeks. So, um, a lot more energy and yeah, but anyway, apologize, apologies if I have to clear my throat and cough quite a bit during this episode. All right. I'm going to back up just a bit to a story I skipped last week. And that is this with Sam Bankman freed who keeps on messaging people who are witnesses in the case against him. For some reason, Samuel Bankman freed has thinks it's a good idea to reach out to witnesses in the criminal case on his own and try and, uh, reestablish relationships with them. So in this one here, let me, I'm going to, um, I'm going to remove my image here on the show. So y'all can see this whole message. Well, actually, let me just zoom out. Let me zoom out and see if that'll work. Cause I'm, let's if I can get this. There we go. There we go. So it's, these are the same messages that he sent to different, the same witness. He sent them a message in the, in the email and, um, on, a like an iMessage. So he asked them, Hey, blank, this is witness one in the criminal case against him and said, I know it's been a while since we've talked and I know things have ended up on the wrong foot. I would really love to reconnect and see if there's a way for us to have a constructive relationship, use each other as resources when possible, or at least vet things with each other. I'd love to get a phone call sometime soon and chat. You. Yeah, that, that is not a good thing to do when you're in a criminal case. It is not a good idea to reach out to a witness who is testifying against you and tell them you want to reestablish a relationship, reconnect, share resources, and at least vet things with each other. Not good. Yeah. Special kind of stupid. That's right. For God only. It's a special kind of stupid. So his lawyers or no DOJ lawyers went to the judge last week and said, Hey, we want you to uh, change the conditions of this guy's bond and restrict him from using um, social media and electronic devices because he's using them to reach out in this case to witnesses. Um, and I need to check where to find out Did the judge make a rule on it. I see that there's a hearing was set for two seven. So for tomorrow, there's supposed to be a hearing. It's been changed. Bail modification hearing set for two nine at ten thirty. So today is the six. So here in a couple days on the ninth, they're supposed to have a hearing for modification to his, his bond. And I made the joke with, in a chat that if Sam if Samuel Bankman freed keeps on making mistakes like this, he's going to end up, his own lawyers are going to end up asking the judge to revoke his bond because his own lawyers have got to ha- be having a headache. Um, like how can I defend you as my client? If you're going to keep doing things that incriminate yourself, such a bad move. <laughs> Such a bad bad move. 
So, yeah, okay. Bail modification hearing, 2 9 a.m. So I'm going to be watching for that to see what the judge says. Uh, the judge may revoke it altogether, although I bet the judge will just tighten up his, uh, his bond on this. I know a lot, uh, several people, not a lot, but several people have said, you know, is SBF part of a sting op or something? And I just don't, I don't see it. I don't think he is. I think he's just a useful, literally a useful idiot. Um, Music and fiction. Good morning. He said, isn't he also informing politicians to return the funds that they received? Yes, that is correct. And I'm glad you brought that up because that is something that I was going to cover. You are thinking just like I am. It's something we've been one we've been wondering if uh what was gonna happen with um some of these people he donated money to. <laughs> Bobby says SBF is heavily vaxxed. Uh FTX is sending letters. Now this isn't SBF doing it, apparently. This is FTX. FTX is sending letters to politicians who received donations from FTX to return the money they received. And this is who it, I mean, this is who it is. You can open this up and see which, now these are different packs. These aren't, I don't think any of these are individuals. No, none of these are individuals. So with the most money, you have DSCC Democrats, Biden Victory Fund, Heartland Resurgence, and NRCC are ranked third and fourth. Those are Republican funds. Activate America, Stab Me Now Victory Fund, who has announced that she's going to retire. Maggie Hassan Victory, New Hampshire Democrat Party, Susan Collins. Susan Collins, who has already been busted for uh, recently for um, instructing a PAC on how to illegally donate to her fund. Um, Gillibrand, Arizona Democrat Party, Texas Democrat Party, Georgia Federal Elections Committee, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Ohio, Maryland, New Mexico, Kansas. It goes on and on and on because FTX and Samuel Bankman Freed and the other executives, they donated to everybody. They donated to everybody. Just everybody. Um, anybody who they thought would have a chance to win, they donated to. Even if the candidates were running against each other in the same race, they would donate to both candidates in the hopes that one of them would win and then would be influenced by FTX to make legislation that was favorable to their their business. Business. So this is something to watch to see if anybody... How, or see, uh, we already know that some have given money back. We'll see how many give money back. I want to say that the total, if I remember correctly from covering it previously on the show, I want to say that about two thirds of the money they gave went to Democrats. Um, I want, I want to say that, that it was about, it was either 60% or two thirds, somewhere in the 60 to 70% of money doled out was given to Democrats, but still it's a substantial amount of money that went to Republicans. Um, and I really think because they gave to just about everybody, I think it's difficult to, uh, well, 
I really don't think you can draw that much of a conclusion about the candidate they gave to because they were equal opportunity donators. They just looked for races where they thought they the candidate would win and they would give money to buy influence. So I don't think you can look at who they gave to and then conclude that candidate must be swampy because FTX gave them money. Um, because they gave to everybody, um, including some Republicans that we like, including some Republicans. Yeah, I see people saying rhinos, but no, not all of them were rhinos. Um, so now a lot of them were. Yes. Don't disagree. I do not disagree with that. Collins, Murkowski, Bill Cassidy, Boozman, Hoven, Richard Burr. But I, I really don't think you can conclude from his donation list very much because he was just looking for candidates to back. Just trying to buy influence. Swamp going to swamp. Okay. Let's stick to, uh, let's stick to a little bit of news about, um, yep. Ted Cruz got money from them. Um, McCarthy's pack got money from them. Um, I mean, they just went, they just went across the board and FTX said that, and actually that list I just showed you, I don't know if that includes money to some of the dark money FTX because, because SBF admitted that he gave lots of dark money to Republicans. He hid the money he gave to Republicans because he knew Democrats would get mad at him. So there's more money than what we just saw right there from the FEC. There's more money that they gave, but they gave it, you know, through inter- lots of different intermediaries to Republicans because they wanted to hide that they were doing that in order to not have Democrats get mad at them. So, well, well, it's something to watch to see if they give it back. All right. Now on the same subject of money and politics and uh, just elections, the New York times is talking about the Coke network, how they have a plan to oust Trump as the GOP nominee. Let's see. I cc a Maggie Haberman in this. Ah, there we go. There we go. X that out. So maybe DeSantis and Youngkin are thinking of teaming up to take down Trump. That would be a good ticket, says Daniel DiMartino. What a powerful takedown with evidence of New York young Republicans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On November 20th, 2022... The viciously left-wing New York Daily News published a rare article by a self-identifying, though broadly unknown, conservative by the name of Grace Bidelec. This is the na- this is from the National Pulse, by the way. Finding column inches inches in storied national or regional newspapers can be close to impossible for even moderate right-wing, uh, which is why the recent scathing column by Bidelec, whose only other outing in the New York Daily News was to excuse the cover-up of child sexual allegations, 
uh, child sexual assault allegations leveled at Michael Jackson took readers by surprise. Bidelect described in her byline as a writer, performer, and administrator appears to enjoy the stage, though seems to have settled as a critic for the recently resurrected New York Sun. She's all I've seen the New York Sun popping up on Twitter more and more lately. She's also the manager of something called the Dissident Project, which on the face of it sounds like an ideal edgy side hustle for a writer, performer, or administrator in New York City. But the Dissident Project isn't anything edgy. Um, is anything but edgy. Purporting to platform, purporting, if I can speak this morning. Here, let me have a sip because I'm bumbling. I am bumbling. Okay. I should have done some exercises or something like sung in the shower this morning. Okay. Purporting to a platform for activists who have left their socialist or communist home countries in search of a better life in America. The dissident project, in fact, looks more like just another pustule in a recently resurgent outbreak of never Trumpism. Backed by corporate cash and longstanding antagonist of the nationalist right, it is no wonder Bidelec's second column for the Daily News set one particular target in its sights, the ultra-maga New York Young Republican Club, the NYYRC, which celebrates its 110th anniversary gala in Manhattan later this week. Libertarian Front Bidelec's attack on the NYYRC revolves around the club's early endorsement of the President Donald J. Trump for 2023-24 Republican primary season. For reference, three months prior to Trump's 2015 announcement, Bidelec posted a selfie with director Lynn manuel best known for both the rap adaptation of Hamilton and for telling Trump he was going to hell. If nothing else, Bidelec is consistent in her pseudo-conservatism, a position which makes even more sense when you realize her dissident project is just an offshoot of another conservative Inc. entity, Young Voices. Young Voices is run by the not-so-young Casey Given, who describes his organization as a non-profit public relations and talent firm for libertarians ages 18 to 35. The anti-Trump partisanship becomes a becomes clear with the basic understanding that organizations like Young Voices are often incubated within cadre of corporate libertarian networks in Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia. The organization recently launched a U.K. arm promoting the same form of neoliberalism that saw Prime Minister Liz Truss turfed out of Downing Street within 45 days of taking office. Young Voices, like many of these ostensibly center-right entities, is backed by the Koch Foundation by their money and their apparatus. Described as authentically libertarian and without a super strong conservative strain, the Koch-backed program lists as a spokesman and advisor one particularly anti-Trump activist by the name of Stephen Kent. Kent, like Bidelect, handed the anti-Trump left a series of victorious headlines in 2018 after penning an op-ed for USA Today titled, I Didn't Become a Republican to Own the Libs with Kavanaugh, so I'm leaving the GOP. In his article, Kent, who now sits on the board of Young Voices alongside other key libertarian figures such as David Boaz, Matt Kibbe, Robbie Suave, and Tom Palmer, said that he believes simultaneously that Christine Blasey Ford was a credible accuser and that the right wing for the right 
White House to do was withdraw the nomination of Kavanaugh. In the same piece, he peddled the Charlottesville fine people hoax. And like many of Trump's current political detractors, his candidate endorsements. Yeah. So the Koch brothers have a network that are backing these libertarians who are capital L libertarians, corporate libertarians in a lot of ways, I think. Uh, swampy libertarians, which I know sounds like it sounds incompatible, but it's my impression that libertarians are often the liber- capital L libertarians are often used as a spoiler. And uh, that's what this is. Ludic- ludicus- ludicrously flanked by printed posters of Ronald Reagan alongside flags of his home country, Venezuela, and the country in which he studies, the United States, DiMartino, this guy here, Daniel DiMartino, stars in a 2019 Heritage Foundation video where he gently details for the five trillionth time a conservative audience could be hearing it, how socialism ruined Venezuela. DiMartino is in his early 20s, extremely soft-spoken, and has featured on the main stage at Matt Schlapp's CPAC, alongside his so-called pro-Trump wife, and the former Brazil president Eduardo, Eduardo, oh, Brazil, oh, Eduardo Bolsonaro. Yeah, Bolsonaro's son. He is currently featured on Mike Pence's back backed Young Americans Foundation website, as well as listing links to the anti-Trump Rebecca Mercer-backed Job Creators Network, Paul Singer, and the Paul Singer-backed Manhattan Institute. Guys, Paul Singer, the Steele dossier starts with Paul Singer. Paul Singer is who first funded the, the, or, the, the Steele dossier. Um, him and McCain. And then it got turned over to, they had, that's how they got started. But then it, um, the funding was picked up by, uh, Hillary Clinton and, uh, Fusion GPS and all that. But it started the whole op against Trump to research Trump and find ties between him and Russia, uh, started with Paul Singer and McCain right there. And who is Rodney Joffe really good friends with and a long time backer of? McCain. Yeah, right there. Anyway, Singer is, per- man, usual suspects. Singer is perhaps most famously known as the originator of the Fusion GPS Trump dossier. Yep, 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 yep. That's where it started, man. Perhaps as the American conservative identified, Trump was not war hungry enough for DiMartino, who desires a rack style U.S. military intervention in Venezuela. Regardless, DiMartino once again attempted to grift from Trump world in 2021, announcing himself as an ambassador for the America First Policy Institute, piquing the interest of Chronicles magazine associate editor Pedro Gonzalez, who observed DiMartino's rejection of 2020 election fraud claims. What DiMartini wholly endorsed, however, was the left's go-to mantra for dealing with right-wing arguments. <clears throat> so, point of this is, we have infiltrators within 
conservative world who are funded by the Koch brothers and are disguising themselves as new, fresh, young conservatives associating, associating with uh, Bolsonaro's son, associating with Pence, associating with a number of others, identifying themselves as somehow being representatives of the uh, America First Policy Institute. But they're infiltrators funded by the Koch brothers, and their whole aim is to take down Trump and to fund an opposition within the party against Trump. Sadly and predictably, DiMartino's anti-America first views have been given a wide airing across Fox News, Breitbart, The Daily Wire, and beyond. The conservative ecosphere is full of grifters like him who glom onto whatever the latest going concern is only to abandon and condemn said cause when more lucrative opportunities arise. Quote, it is very clear that the New York Young Republicans Club's massive growth, scale, and publicity as an institution poses a significant threat to the astroturfed globalist neoliberals who masquerade as conservatives at the Young Voices Dissident Project. Young Voices Dissident Project. Those are the infiltrators. New York Young Republican Chairman Gavin Wax told National Post, Pulse, the 1,200-plus members of the nation's largest and oldest Young Republican Club who have been leading the fight against the forces of leftism in the city are actual dissidents. Okay. So, if you start seeing, which you probably already have and you didn't really consider it much, but these two groups, which are one and the same, uh, Young Voices and Dissident Project. And then also Daniel DiMartino. You start seeing that and you realize that you need to understand that they are Koch brother funded and their goal is to push against Trump from within the party. This isn't a brand new article, by the way. This is from December 6th. But I wanted to pull it out because there is, um, there's like I've been saying, there's a concerted effort to blame Trump and to try and uh, try and try and get someone else. And you see, like right here, this account, this account is not wrong. Look who's in DeSantis's corner: Paul Ryan, Jeb, Ken Griffin, Bolton, Coke. All the all these usual suspects, all these uh, establishment Republicans and neocons are backing DeSantis, and I really don't think I I don't think they're backing DeSantis because they actually like DeSantis so much. I think they're backing DeSantis just as the anti-Trump. I actually don't think it has anything to do with them being DeSantis fans. Um. I think they would back anybody who was Republican and they thought could win a primary against Trump. So that's what they're DeSantis is just the one that they've chosen to get behind. Because they believe he has the best chance. Okay.
Yeah, I'm caught. I'm okay. Over on Rumble Chat, <clears throat> I'm caught between Karma Patriots' take right there and Buster Lou. Karma Patriot says they are performing a reverse psyop. They want Trump because they think he will lose. Um, wait. They want Trump because they think he will lose. What do you mean, Karma? What I thought Karma was getting at at first before I finished reading her sentence was that it's a reverse. There's a psyop going on where, well, really, there's kayfabe between Trump and DeSantis. DeSantis is playing into this thing, and Trump is playing into it, and it's all kayfabe in order to attract these types, in order to attract the GOP establishment and get them to throw their money and their clout behind DeSantis, who is not going to run or is, or yeah, who is not going to run and who is going to back Trump. But I also worry about what Buster Lou says, which is they know DeSantis can be bought. And, Oh, Karma Patriot says the Lincoln Project, they're gaslighting us. Okay, yeah. So I'm, like right now, if you say, is the, if you ask me, is is the Trump-DeSantis thing kayfabe? Um, is the Trump-DeSantis thing kayfabe or not? I'm going to bet on kayfabe. That's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to, kayfabe. Um, but it's getting difficult to do that. Like I'm, it's not like with so many others where I'm like, Oh, that's kayfabe. Like totally convinced, like no doubt in my mind. Like I have zero doubt in my mind that between Trump and Barr, it's kayfabe. I have zero doubt. Zero. It's not difficult for me at all, but Trump and DeSantis, it's a bit difficult. I'm just like barely in the kayfabe, like just barely over 51%. Um, and then I keep seeing like DeSantis traveling around. It seems like he's doing some fundraising, but you know what? I got to say some good kayfabe. It's hard to tell. Like if you're doing kayfabe, right, it's going to be difficult to tell whether or not it's kayfabe or it's real. So, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, Cinco 64 is already on it. Is it difficult or is it effective? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Annie Patriot GMA says, I have felt all along that things have been too easy for DeSantis. His role of going against the deep state has not been challenged. It has been a psyop. You know... I'm starting to uh, come around to that thinking too, that I've, I've seen some digs on DeSantis where I'm like, Hmm, did we, was MAGA too welcoming and allowed DeSantis to be built up too big for, and too good for what he really is. I'm starting, I'm starting to get that feeling. See, it could be, both could be true. It could be that um, it could be 
that see, I I said this a long time ago, actually, before this kayfabe started, before this Trump DeSantis feud started, I said back before the midterms, I said on this show that I don't think DeSantis is as great as what MAGA thinks he is. And the only reason I said that, or the primary reason, was because I saw so many fair-weather MAGA types turning on Trump in favor of DeSantis. And I started saying, you know what, these guys, they're all jumping on to DeSantis really quick here, and I don't think DeSantis is as great as what they believe he is, although I think he's great. I think he's in the top five, like best governors in the country. So he is great, but I don't think he's so great. We should jump off of Trump and like back DeSantis on a whim. Like, I don't think it's like an equal trade here. Um, but then as this is developed, I'm like, Hmm. And I'm seeing some research on DeSantis that I'm like, hmm, this is concerning. This is really concerning. And it's, yeah. Thank you for the rant, Larry. Yep, usual suspects. Yeah, there's the red flag law. There's the vaccine thing. And then he hasn't done much on really said or acknowledged anything having to do with election fraud. Um, then you look who's backing him. It's just concerning. All right. So next, next topic. Well, I can't figure, I can't figure, I can't figure it out. I'm, I'm going to bet on the, I'm going to bet on kayfabe for now, guys. Um, I really am, but, um, like I said, I'm about 51% kayfabe. That's how sure I am. Um, all right. So you may remember that, um, Trump had some private, uh, investigators search, uh, for documents. And we have this right here. First on CNN, two people who searched Trump properties for classified documents testified before a federal grand jury in a Mar-a-Lago probe. Two people who found two classified documents in a storage facility. These are private investigators that Trump hired and sent there to investigate. Have testified before a federal grand jury in Washington that's looking at the former president's handling of national security records at his Mar-a-Lago residence. The two individuals who were hired to search four of Trump's properties last fall were each interviewed for about three hours in separate appearances last week. They were hired to search Trump's Bedminster Bedminster Golf Club, Trump Tower in New York, and an office location in Florida and a storage unit in Florida last October. This is months after the FBI executed a search warrant at Mar-a-Lago. The extent of information they they offered the grand jury remains unclear, though they didn't decline to answer any questions, one of the sources said. So this is, you know, sources said. But I got to believe, you know, if you're in front of the grand jury for three hours, 
he probably didn't plead the fifth very much. But I guess that depends on how many questions they asked. The development comes at the same time federal prosecutors are pushing a look at files on a laptop of at least one staff member around Trump at Mar-a-Lago. At times, the special counsel's office has been unwilling to negotiate with defense attorneys over recent subpoenas, leading to tense conversations. By pushing for access to computers, investigators are trying to determine if there is an electronic paper trail regarding the classified documents. Taken together, the investigative moves underscore that there is continued grand jury activity in the Mar-a-Lago documents case at a time when the Justice Department has newer inquiries into unsecured national security records underway involving President Joe Biden and former Vice President Mike Pence. The Justice Department declined to comment to CNN, as did a Trump attorney. Federal prosecutors have taken a more aggressive stance in the Trump inquiry since last summer, when the Justice Department disclosed it had evidence that records Trump kept in Florida had been concealed or removed, raising the need for an obstruction investigation. The Biden and Pence situations have been markedly different, while they are, or the, while they also highlight sloppiness around the tracking of classified papers, both Biden and Pence's teams have readily handled handed them back to intelligence officials. Right, right, right. That's why the FBI visited all of Biden's. Well, the FBI has so far searched the Penn Biden office, Biden's uh, Delaware home, and Biden's Rehoboth Beach home. The discovery of additional records by the two people Trump's lawyers hired in November, well, well after Trump's team and the FBI under a court-approved warrant unearthed hundreds of other classified pages, At that time, Trump's lawyers were locked in a dispute with the Justice Department over whether they had adequately searched his properties and turned over all classified records, blah, blah, blah. So what has always been interesting to me about this is that um, if if they were really – if Justice was really concerned with classified documents here, they wouldn't be letting Trump hire private teams to go and search for them. So I don't think they're concerned about classified documents. I think, you know, sometimes lawyers are referred to as private investigators. Like lawyers will be hired as an investigator. And I kind of wonder if that's what's going on here is that these these two people are actually lawyers for Trump but they're not retained by Trump as lawyers or just hired by Trump as investigators. And they're responding to searches for specific documents. You know, like the news is fake, but the leaks are real. I think this is one of those occasions. I feel like media this entire time has been led along by these anonymous sources and sources familiar. And I feel like those are all ghosts in the machine leading the news media around. And they're leading them to write stories that describe just a portion of what is going on in order to keep certain things alive. And in the media, just to bait them along. And the media keeps getting baited along as, oh, they're so close to getting Trump. 
They're so close to getting him. They're going to get this laptop computer, um, which is probably a computer Trump has never touched in his life. <laughs> um, I wonder if it's one of Hunter's laptops. Um, watch it be Don Jr.'s laptop. Watch it be watch it be a laptop that belonged to Don Jr. And the media is going to make a huge deal about how important the 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 president's son's laptop is. <laughs> because it's Trump's sons. And then we're going to have something happen with Biden's laptop and it's going to re- flip right back on them. Um, but anyway, we had talked about these people before months ago when these searches happened. And I had said, watch out for whether or not the FBI ends up doing a search of these properties like these two investigators did. So far, it hasn't happened that we know of. Um, But I wouldn't be surprised if it did. All right. House Judiciary Panel wants wants info from FBI about Charles McGonigal. I'm really excited for this. Wait a minute. Did I already cover this on the show? I think I did. Or was it on Devolution Power Hour? I feel like I already covered this, either on this show or on Devolution Power Hour, one or the other. Some shows are running together for me. So I'm having a hard time keeping them separate, what I have covered and haven't covered. But I think... I think I did cover this either on this show or on Devolution Power Hour. E.H. Kyle says on the Devo Power Hour. Yeah, they want McGonagall's records and uh, yeah, good stuff. I hope they get it. I think, yeah, the Devolution Power Hour. Yeah, yeah, I grabbed this in the Devolution Power Hour. Cool. I mentioned last um, last Friday about Eric Garland. It was at, towards the end of my uh, my show. And I talked about this excellent video that he did. Um, he also has one on Durham, but it's this one right here about the Steele dossier that really opened my eyes. Great. It's a great video. But this, I want, I just wanted to show you the tweet that I referenced where someone asked him, they covered up Trump's crimes. Why is this not news? Is what they meant. And Eric Garland responded, because we're not ready to have the discussion of Trump as a federal informant yet. Soon enough. I 100% agree. I hundred percent agree. I agree with all of that. We're not ready. Americans aren't ready to have that conversation yet, both on the left and the right. It's going to happen. It's going to happen soon, but,
But I think first what's going to happen is the whole discussion is going to happen about Biden, about Hunter Biden being a CHS, being a confidential human source and acting as an asset for U.S., maybe U.S. Intel and DOJ. And then the media is going to defend it. The media is going to come into a mode where they're just going to defend Hunter Biden and all the great work he did for the U.S. and busting different corrupt people. And he turned in evidence on all of his corrupt partners and all of this. And then right after that, I expect it to be revealed that Trump has been working as an informant and probably a counter Intel agent, as Dawson says here for years and years and years. As Dawson said, it's been public record for more than 20 years. FBI and DOJ convinced a federal court that Trump documents were exempt from FOIA to avoid revealing Trump and the Trump org roles in FBI's organized crime and counterintelligence investigations. And both sides, left and right, want to ignore this. I covered that. It just happened last year. It just happened last spring. It was the Hetna case. And it's very obvious. And the journalist that was in that case is on the left, I believe, and they didn't want to write any more articles about it. Um because they, they just want to they want to keep telling their audience that Trump is corrupt and Barr covered it up. And people on the right, in the right side media, just want to keep on yelling about how FBI's bad, blah, blah, blah. Nothing good ever happens. They're corrupt. You can tear them down. So they don't want to tell their audience that actually Trump is working for the FBI. Because they've been telling their audience for years that the FBI is bad and corrupt and needs to be destroyed. So if you guys have been watching this show for a while and you've heard me cover this for so long, then you're already ahead of the game and you're already aware of this. And once it clicks into place in your mind, once, once it clicks into, into your place in your mind that Trump is an asset, it changes everything about how you view the last six plus seven years. It changes everything about how you interpret Spygate. And how Trump functioned as the bait and the trap. And how the FBI weren't ever after to get Trump because he was one of their own. It was always a plot. It was always a sting to get the people who were out to get Trump, including people within the FBI who were corrupt. But you have to have the bait. You have to have the bait, and Trump was always the bait, and he was the perfect bait because he was an asset. That is, that, once you understand this, that famous video, which I don't know if UK Neil still has it at the top of his uh, Twitter. He used to have this pinned. No, he doesn't have it pinned anymore. So the video of I caught them all. No one could have done it but me. So if you hold it in your mind that Trump is an asset and has been this entire time, then when you listen to this clip right here, it changes it. Just a moment. 
I think in light of all of the things going on, and you know what I mean by that, the fake news, the Comey's of the world, all of the bad things that went on, it's called the swamp. And you know what happened? And you know what I did? A big favor. I caught the swamp. I caught them all. Let's see what happens. Nobody else could have done that but me. I caught all of this corruption that was going on, and nobody else could have done it. On top of that, we have the best economy, greatest economy. We. I caught the swamp. I caught them all. Nobody could have done it but me. When you understand that Trump is an asset and was functioning as such before he was president, while he was president, and probably after he's been president, probably right now, it changes all it changes all of it. And you understand, oh, that's why he said that he caught them and only nobody could have done it but him. It's not his ego speaking. He's speaking truth. That nobody could have done it but him because nobody who has ever run for president, who has ever been in his position, was also an asset. And none of these people that were after him knew that. Um, when you find out that Carter Page was also an asset, it changes everything about the Carter Page situation. And his role in Spygate. And the FISA getting approved on him. That conversation is coming. It's it's gonna it's gonna go public. Um I see the question, do I think that Comey is a black hat? No. No, I don't. I think um I don't usually use the term black hat or white hat. But um, I know what you mean. No, I think that... No, I don't. I think that Comey and Trump are working together. They've known each other for a very long time. Um, and have worked together before. Um, but I think everybody should have an open mind to... I think everybody... I think including me, including me, should view the players in Spygate... Um, With a, um, well, I think we should, I think we should all have a willingness to reconsider what we think about each person because the story of Spygate and Russiagate has been told to us through media narratives, primarily, um, through media narratives that are skewed one direction or another. And then through documents that get released, declassified, whatever, um, get, you know, Grassley gets or Nunez gets or something like that, John Solomon. And we just get these breadcrumbs everywhere. And we're trying to assemble them into a loaf, right? Um, We're trying to follow these breadcrumbs and see where they lead and understand what happened with Russiagate and Spygate and who's involved with who and who did what. And yeah, we know quite a, we know a lot. We know a whole bunch of things, but what we lack for a bunch of those things is context. And there's other pieces that we don't have to understand how those, the pieces that we do have fit together. And so I have my opinions on various people in Spygate and whether I think they were working for the swamp or not, 
good or bad, if you want to put it in those terms, black hat, white hat, if you want to put it in those terms. But I think we should all have, we should all keep, we shouldn't like seal that up and make those, make our conclusions too firm about any individual person, because there could be pieces of information we learn in the future that completely blow up what we thought about this person's role in Spygate and completely change how we see their role. Um, and I just, I just think that we need to not get too, too married to our conclusions about any one person in Spygate. Um, I, I very much expect surprises that, the more we find out, I very much expect that we're going to find out some really surprising things. Nobody was watching McGonagall. Nobody was figuring out McGonagall was actually a Russian asset within the FBI's New York office. Right? Like, there's someone that, I mean, nobody was walking around saying, McGonagall, he's a great FBI agent and praising him for his role in Spygate, but nobody had him that I'm aware of. Nobody had him ranked up there with other Spygate players as being one of these, you know, one of the worst people. And now we've learned all this stuff about him just in the past couple of weeks and realized that he was way more consequential in Spygate than we understood. Um, so, I think I think I just think we always need to have room to adjust like that and always be willing to. Okay. One of my favorite people, Ezra Cohen Watnick. Or Ezra Cohen, as he goes by now. He dropped the Watnick after he left the Trump administration. Was on with CBS with Catherine Harridge. So this is pretty fire. You have Ezra Cohen with Catherine Harridge, the pin. Um, doing an interview together, and these this is the tweet thread that Catherine put out, <clears throat> and she says Ezra Cohen, who is a member of the Public Interest Declassification Board, former chair, which advises the president and Congress on classification system and safeguarding classified records, explains the record system and why it quote has not come anywhere near to keeping pace. I'm going to play this. You sit on the Public Interest Declassification Board. What is the board's mandate? The board uh, has historically been uh, under the radar, but uh, certainly, you know, the public uh, shifting its attention to the handling of classified records ha has brought uh, new attention to the board. Uh, the board is responsible for advising president, the president and Congress uh, on ways to improve the classification and declassification system. And of course, this also includes the safeguarding of uh, classified records. You just finished a two-year term as chairman. As chairman, did you warn congressional leadership that the record system was at breaking point? The board uh, sent a very uh, pointed letter to uh, then-Speaker Pelosi warning her that the investment and the funding of the record system was such that, uh, uh, really, frankly, it was compromised. Let's take that a step further. What do you mean by compromised? Well, 
there's been an explosion in digital records and, frankly, classified records of all forms uh, really at the end of the 90s. And uh, the investment in the record system has not come anywhere near to keeping pace. So what that means is we simply don't have enough people and resources to manage and handle all of these classified records. So PID member Ezra Cohen, this is a, a tweet thread by Catherine. PID member Ezra Cohen says more trained experts should be involved with handling records at the end of a presidential administration, but that Congress has decreased funding at National Archives and specifically for those who are responsible for handling classified records. Does the discovery of classified records at the residence of the current president, the former president, the vice president, is this a reflection of problems in the system? Anytime classified information shows up outside of a secured space, um, it, it is cause for concern. We have a unique situation in the cases of uh, former uh, presidents and vice presidents in that they're also covered by the Presidential Records Act. And this implicates another issue, which is whether or not the presidential libraries and the staff that are tasked with handling presidential records at the end of a term uh, are properly resourced. Again, uh, it's in many cases, it's the same groups of people at the National Archives uh, and, and their numbers have not grown. So what should be happening when you're having... All right. So that's a really key point right there, that the number of people who are responsible for handling these classified records and declassifying records and everything, the number of people that are responsible for handling it and processing it, processing it hasn't grown. But the amount of classified records that there are has grown exponentially. And if you're watching this show, you can probably understand why we, us in particular, care about these classified records because we want D-class and we can't have oversight of our government unless there's D-class. Like, and I think he makes this point later on in this. He may make this point. I may be making it too early, but he makes the point that What's unique about America is that there is the ability for the American people to have some oversight of their government because all records are supposed to be declassified. But there's a bottleneck here where there just keeps piling up more and more classified records and the process to declassify them is so slow and so restricted by the number of people that there are that are actually doing that declassification and the people in power keep finding reasons to keep things classified over and over again. And so we're being robbed of the ability to provide oversight as citizens. We can't give over. We can't assess our government and give proper oversight. And by proper oversight, I mean, you know, like we just learned last in uh in December, we learned about the CIA's involvement in the assassination of John F. Kennedy. By the way, that happened because of this man. That happened because of this man in the PIDB. Um, but that was so long in coming. And the news media doesn't care enough about it, that that story, that story came and went. Now, we so many of us had already figured this out in the years since JFK's assassination. So many people have come to that conclusion. So it wasn't this huge shocker that you would have expected it to be um, or that it otherwise would have been had we not discerned it 
but that's the problem. It we had to figure it out on our own when it should have been declassified and there should have been oversight. Um, and if there had been sooner on, there could have been more accountability years and decades ago. But that's one of the key issues here is that there's this bottleneck with classified records and it's only getting worse. It's only getting worse because more and more and more things are getting classified. Having the transition of one administration to the other, should you have people from the records department packing the boxes? Well, I think that that's really one of the things that came up during the conference that we had last week. We had several former directors of presidential libraries who spoke about the fact that we need more trained uh, archivists and experts to be involved uh, in the handling of records at the end of a presidential administration. And again, unfortunately, uh, funding has not only remained flat, but in some cases, actually funding has decreased at the archives for those people that are responsible for handling classified records. Does the discovery... I kind of wonder if that's on purpose, like that in order to get in the way of declassification... Congress has defunded the archivist who would be handling that declassification. Um, <clears throat> if you don't know, documents are set out to be declassified after so many years or after a certain event. Um, but it takes actual people doing it. There's no like, there's no software program that is just automatically declassifying things and publishing them. Um, maybe there should be, but that would be a very complicated system to create and you would have to digitize all these records anyway. Right. So it seems like it's a, yeah, row slash. It seems like it's a failure by design. It's get, they're getting in the way of it by design. Um, and Ezra Cohen Watnick has made his mission to, to, um, remedy that. It sounds like based on the system deficits that the U S government really doesn't have its arms around the records it maintains. What this comes down to is the fact that you're right. We don't fully know all of the records or have a, uh, um, a conscious understanding of all the records in our possession because the volume is so great. And we just don't have the systems to uh, go through them in a timely fashion. And again, this isn't just about, you know, finding records where they shouldn't be. This is also about public transparency. Does the U.S. government. So like, just think about think about this. We just got records declassified from the JFK assassination and investigation, which confirmed CIA involvement. That was 60 years ago. Think about all the documents that have been created since then that are classified and how far behind we are in getting these things declassified. So if you want to, if you think like, okay, maybe a good rule of thumb is that when something is classified top level, top classification, top secret, that it should probably be classified for about 25 years, just general rule of thumb. Just general rule of thumb. Maybe more. Maybe less. But 25 years just should be the roundabout. So if we're looking at documents getting declassified, we should be able to go back 25 years. Which means we should be getting documents declassified from the 90s, right? The 60s and 70s, 
should all be declassified by now. Or at least almost all. In all or almost all of the 80s, and we should be getting into the 90s with getting declassification. So it's just like, there's such a buildup. There's so many records that are classified, and there's such a backlog that where do you even start? Where do you even start to get at this? And it, and that has been the mission of Ezra Cohen-Watnick and the PIDB is to try and get Congress on board with curing this problem because this overclassification problem is robbing it's it's damaging to the america to it's damaging to our country and how our country works government have an overclassification problem we do know that there has been an increased number of classified records that have been created and the board's research and investigations over the past uh, decade has shown that there is an increased frequency of of uh, overclassification The White House talks about records being marked classified, but does that really tell the whole story? Does- All right, now this, this segment right here is particularly relevant to the Trump, Biden, and Pence marked classified documents cases. And this is, this is where Ezra is going to shine right here and also Herridge because of this question. This is the most important part of this interview Um, as far as, like, our current happenings go. The White House talks about records being marked classified, but does that really tell the whole story? Does a document have to have a classified marking to be classified? Unless you review a document line by line under the current system, there's really no way to know if it's classified or not. The markings at the top of the... Unless you review the document line by line and examine it in the system, there's really no way to know whether a document is classified or not about records being marked classified but does that really tell the whole story does a document have to have a classified marking to be classified unless you review a document line by line under the current system there's really no way to know if it's classified or not the markings at the top of the page are only one indicator but it's not a confirmation that the document actually contains classified information so you can have documents with no markings but the intelligence is deemed classified well, it, it's certainly possible that, you know, and we do see this, people can put information in documents that's classified and then not appropriately mark it. Boom. That's like, that's like nine months <laughs> almost of uh, media hit pieces on Trump just completely destroyed right there by the archivist himself. Like, yeah, I know that that document has markings that indicate it's classified, but you can't go by those markings. You can't, you can't go by those markings alone just because it says top secret doesn't mean it's actually still classified. And just because it has no markings at all, doesn't mean it's not classified. What is the fix? It comes down to, one, better resourcing. Um, it's, it's long overdue for Congress to take action and really fund this problem. Uh, the U.S. system is unique in the sense that there's an assumption that 
uh, all government activities will ultimately be judged by the public, uh, even if it's time delayed. And so the idea that we might have uh, records that will never see uh, the public light because uh, we just don't have the resources to process them is frankly a, a threat to our democracy. Yeah, that's the final point that I mentioned earlier, that this overclassification problem and delay in D-class is actually a threat to how our country runs because people in power have figured out that they can do things while they're in power, classify them, and it'll be so long before the American people ever find out, if they ever do, that they can hide their crimes that way. And so, and I think, I think that's the problem. Like, I think we're aware of that in this community, but I don't believe that the average American is aware of that at all, at all. I don't think it's anywhere on their radar, but this is a, the, the classification has become a mechanism for corrupt people who are in power, hiding their crimes. If they have the power to classify and, if we can get Congress to better fund an overhaul of the classification system, then we can actually provide better oversight and we can hold people in power accountable because they will know that if they try to classify their crimes, we're going to find out much sooner than we otherwise would have. Because this problem is being solved through that funding and through more archivists and better systems. Um, this, I, I, when I shared this thread, um, with this interview with, with Ezra, I had a few people comment, well, this administration doesn't care. Nothing's ever going to happen. You know, the usual black pill comments, but what they don't realize because they don't watch my show because they're black pillars. And if they watched my show, they wouldn't be black pillars. Um, is that Ezra's had a really, he's had an amazing, um, success record with this administration. And this administration, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, this administration, including the DNI, Avril Haynes is on board with so much of what Ezra wants. And the Washington, D.C. think tanks, these swampy uh, outfits, are upset about it. They've been trying to convince the Biden administration to not go along with some of the changes that Ezra and the board want. Um, and I've, I've seen a couple articles, I think one or two I've covered on this show in the past, where they're trying to talk about the dangers of declassifying things too soon and, um, you know, you know, appeal to the experts type thing and... Uh, yeah, he's had a remarkable success and I don't know, man, maybe it's because of devolution. Maybe it's because we've gotten some, we've, we've, uh, the people in the Biden administration are who we thought. I don't know, but he's had a lot of success. The next date, as far as I know, the, the next super important date, as far as declassification that's coming up is in June when another big bundle of, I don't know how many documents it's supposed to be, maybe thousands of JFK related records are supposed to be declassified. <coughs> the original thing was they were all going to be declassified um, this past December. <coughs> Pardon me. But that didn't happen. 
but what did happen is they were, they made a drop of so many thousand this past December. And then they set a target date of this June to declassify another big chunk of them. So Biden seems committed to it. And I know that that sounds like what, how can that be? But that's the truth. That's, and so far, so far, that's what he's done. He's declassified it. He's been declassifying things. So I'm really thankful for that. I do want to point out because it is Ezra. Um, you guys need to know that there are a ton. Actually, let me just go to, I need to go to Twitter. Um, they didn't tag him here. Um, but I need to go to Twitter and let y'all know that there are a ton of imposter Ezra accounts out there. Um, on Twitter, yeah, but especially on Telegram. Especially on Telegram, there are a ton of imposter accounts who pretend to be Ezra Cohen-Watnick, and they are not. This is Ezra Cohen-Watnick's one and only account. And he doesn't just tell you this on his Twitter um, he has said it in writing in other places. He has acknowledged it in other places that this is my only account, no account on telegram, no account on rumble, no account on true social or anywhere else is me. This is the only place he is. So if you're following an account and you think it's Ezra. It's not. In fact, some of those accounts that, um, that pretend to be Ezra, if you go and look at who they promote the most, what other telegram channels and other, uh, people they promote a lot, <coughs> that's probably who's actually running the account. There's a, um, What's the word for it? Um, I can't think of the word for it. Kind of like a, there's like a con, a con artist tactic that has become popular where someone who has a channel and they want to, they're a fraud. What they will do is make other fraudulent channels and then they will promote that one key channel. So say you're running channel A and you're trying to get people to buy silver and buy into whatever Nasara Jasara bullshit, uh, whatever it is that you're making money off of, you'll have that you'll have account A on Telegram and other places. But then you'll create B, C, and D accounts that are under different names and are popular characters, such as Ezra Cohen Watnick is a popular one. Uh, General McInerney is another popular one. Um, other, other people who are known in the community who are famous or, or whatever. And then you'll have those channels, B, C, and D promote channel A. And you see it, you see it all the time. Um, and unfortunately Ezra is probably the most popular one. Like that ghost Ezra account. That's a total bullshit account. Total bullshit. Um, and there's a ton of other ones that are like that. There's there's fake John Durham channels and fake Chris Miller channels and fake Cash Patel channels. 
uh, fake Doctor Doctor Z channels. Like, uh, um, yeah, there's there's tons of stuff. So, anyway, I just really want to point out to you that if you're interested in Ezra Cohen Watnick, this is his one and only account, and he hasn't been very active at all on Twitter. Um, it's mostly been stuff having to do with the public interest declassification board and the Hudson Institute where he's a fellow, but with this balloon thing, he's activated. <coughs> Pardon me guys. I'm sorry. Um, with this balloon thing, he has gotten more and more active and has been engaging with, um, a ton of, uh, content having to do with this Chinese balloon. And I think that. Fake journal Flynn channels. Yep. Those two, I think like I was, I was looking through some of his, uh, his stuff in support of, well, yeah. In support of this Psy act and Psy op, he's been, he's been activated. I've never seen him this active. And to me, it gives even more. It, it makes it even more, uh, it makes it more obvious to me that it's a psy act in support of a psy op, like Boone Cutler said. I don't know if y'all saw this. I talked about it last night on the Devolution Power or <laughs> Devolution Power Hour. <laughs> last night on Defected, that um, Boone Cutler over here on on True Social, who's a great follow, said that that is what this balloon thing is. I will scroll and show you. Oh yeah, by the way, uh Boone was on with CanCon last night. And uh I'm gonna need to watch that. I really I need to catch up on the uh, Devolution Power Hour from uh uh Saturday because I hear they were talking to CanCon about Devolution and Devo pilling him. Um because CanCon hasn't read the series. It's coming up. I'm almost I'm almost at it. Where is it? Where is it? He's talking a lot about the balloon. Oh, what did he say about Durham? I didn't see this. Durham has signaled to the American people that his investigation has legs, despite perceptions of plotting inertia. He has provided hope that accountability in D.C., rare as a MAGA sticker on a Prius, actually might happen. Hey, I'm going to have to go ahead and retruth that. I'm going to have to go ahead and retreat that because he's right. He is right. Um, where is it at, Boone? Sorry, I should have bookmarked this, but I'm just uh, I'm just flowing right now. There it is. Right here. I should have gone to my own account and just scrolled because it would have been quicker. The Chinese spy balloon is a psi act. The CCP is a discretionary agent of action. A Psy Act supports the Psy Op plan. Go back to your guide, meaning this, and read up on Psy Acts. What are the effects of this Psy Act? Now, I'm not going to jump into uh, um, talking about the balloon because I'm tired of it. We talked it to death last night <laughs> on Defected. Um, but he's right. 
and Ezra being activated over this Psy act just makes me more firmly believe that it is a Psy act. And I got to say, this has been, I really like that he did this because it's an awesome, um, like, like it's just, this is the perfect event to pull this book up and reference it and use it to help you analyze what's happening in the news and media. If you, if you haven't gotten this book, man, I really recommend it. I really recommend this book. It is an easy read. It has like, it's most like, if you look at it, it's, I don't know. I can't really show this on screen. I probably shouldn't even do this. Um, but it's kind of set out with homework and, uh, sections in it, like a manual. So there's like chapter three, paragraph six, chapter three, paragraph seven, and there's subjects in it. And like, like it's not set out like a novel or like, um, a, uh, um, a biography or something like, like, it's not like that. It's set out like a manual. Um, it literally like is a manual. Um, so it's, you can easily reference it over and over again. Um, I like it very much. <clears throat> okay. Ukraine. Last subject for, for today. We've got some swamp draining going on in Ukraine. And it is, it is causing me to reconsider what I think about what I think about certain characters. Um, I don't know if Karma Patriot's still watching. Um, but if she is, Karma Patriot and I have long disagreed about Zelensky. And some of the happenings in Ukraine as of this year and some other things I have found out are causing me to revisit my views on Zelensky. And I am concerned that I am approaching... I'm concerned I'm in the middle of a U-turn. And I'm about to have to tell Karma Patriot that I was wrong and she was right. Now, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. But there's some weird things going on in Ukraine. Now, there has been this whole time, of course. But it's gotten it's gotten weirder and weirder and there's been a number of people who have either resigned or been arrested um in Ukraine recently tons of officials that are you know to back to back it up a bit when zelensky ran he ran on anti-corruption And he was backed heavily by this guy, 
who is corrupt and stole billions of dollars from Ukraine. But he what Zelensky wasn't just backed by this guy. Zelensky was funded by this guy in donations. He advertised, he owned one plus one media and promoted Zelensky heavily. And before that, he funded Zelensky's show, which made him the comedian president of, um, in the, in the show, he was a comedian president who was anti-corruption and then after that show, he actually ran for office and won. And this guy was behind it. This is Igor Kolomoski. And then when Zelensky won, Kolomoski was retained by Zelensky as his lawyer and like paid for lawyers, paid for security for Zelensky. Um, I think he paid for he paid for all sorts of stuff. This guy also funded the Azov Battalion uh, through right sector. He um, he's been I mean he's been in so but he's he's also been in so much trouble. He um, Prevot Bank got nationalized after he stole over two billion. I think it was two and a half billion dollars he stole from it. Um, he embezzled tons of oil, embezzled all sorts of things. Um, he law he was stripped of his Ukrainian citizenship. Um, and he left Ukraine because during a he left Ukraine during part of Zelensky's uh, first term uh, because of a crackdown on corruption. And then he's come back, but has been stripped of his citizenship, and so he can't leave the country. Is my understanding. And then this past week, he got raided. And this was after a whole bunch of other Ukrainian officials were raided by Zelensky um, and his and his uh, police. And we're not talking about just like a handful. We're talking about dozens. There's this massive crackdown on corruption is what it's being hailed as in Ukraine right now. So Igor Kolomoisky, who founded Privat Bank in the 90s, was seen Wednesday dressed in a sweatsuit as officials from Ukraine security services searched his home, according to Reuters. Um, Emerson Biggins, or Biggins, Emerson Biggins, thank you for the rumble rant. Yeah, you asked about the perfect phone call. I do have it, and uh, I think I'm going to grab it and listen to it before the end of the show. Yeah. Um. Ukraine's Economic Security Bureau. So that's who did the raid, okay? Ukraine's Economic Security Bureau on Wednesday announced it had exposed a large-scale embezzlement scheme worth a billion dollars by the management of the two con- of the country's two largest oil companies, okay? Ukrafna and Ukratnafta. Nafta. Ukrat whatever. Whatever. However you say it. There's too many Look at this. Look at what they did. KRT. How do you pronounce KRT? Crit? You crit at NAFTA? I don't know. So anyway, Kolomoisky previously held stakes in both of those companies, though he was not directly mentioned in the report. But at the same time, Kolomoisky was raided. 
The U.S. State Department sanctioned Kolomoisky in 2021 after he was allegedly involved in corrupt acts that undermine rule of law while he served as governor of Ukraine's Dnipro region from 2014 to 2015. Kolomoisky has been, um, he's been, um, indicted here in the U.S. and he had, pro- his properties were seized here in the U.S. So I have this like fantasy in a way of him actually being extradited to here to stand trial in America. Eventually. I think that'd be great. Um, but Zelensky's connections to Kolomoisky began before his entry into politics, servant of the people, <clears throat> servant of the people is the name of the show that Zelensky was on that Kolomoisky funded. And then that's the name of his party. Now a Ukrainian political satire created and produced by Zelensky was featured on Kolomoisky's television network. One plus one. The show features Zelensky in a starring role as a high school history teacher who was elected president of Ukraine. You guys probably know all that. Kolomoisky then supported Zelensky after the former comedian ran for president leading to the former president, one-time billionaire Petro Poroshenko's re-election committee to refer to him as Kolomoisky's puppet. Both Zelensky and Kolomoisky strongly denied at the time that the billionaire was trying to influence the budding politician, but, I mean, he was getting tons of money and he named the guy, I mean, the guy paid for his entire inauguration, basically. Kolomoisky is now worth a billion dollars according to the latest estimates, but he's lost $800 million since Russia started the conflict in Ukraine, and he's also had a tons of assets, hundreds of millions of dollars in assets seized or frozen. Um, so he's probably worth way more, but it's all been taken. Like UK, right? Uh, the UK froze two and a half billions of assets belonging to Privat Bank, which Kolomoisky part owned or co-owned. All right. So I've been wondering about I saw this tweet. Now, this guy is ex-CBS news producer, okay? But I have not been able to find a document that says this, okay? So, grain of salt. Um, this guy is ex-news producer, so I think, you know, you can give you can give some credibility to his claim here. But he says Kolomoisky was raided in Ukraine, and it had to do with corruption related to military supplies. I guess the Ukrainian mob has met U.S. detection capability. I have been looking for something to back that claim up, okay? I haven't found it. If any of you guys find it, feel free to send it to me on um, True Social or somewhere or Twitter. But I haven't found sauce for that, okay? Um, Now, I will admit that I was looking last week. And then I didn't look at all this weekend until last night before defected. So I may have missed it. It may have come and gone and I, and I just missed it. But I'm wondering if Kolomoisky got storched because the DOD IG was in Ukraine. just last week, right before this raid happened. <clears throat> and I know I talked about this some on Devolution Power Hour last Wednesday. But the timing of, it's not just that he visited personally, it's that 
There he is right there. There's Robert Storch. Um, he visited Kiev and met with Zelensky's people, and it wasn't just him. It was the State Department IG and um, some others. And right after they leave, within days, Kolomoisky gets raided. And if you go even further back than that, it was, let me go up here to their website. Let's see. It is, that's Testimonies Ukraine. Oversight updates, I believe where it is. Oversight update. There's I think it's this one right here, Ukraine. There it is, January 18th. So January 18th, before he visited, they published this strategic plan, which we talked about on, on uh, Devolution Power Hour a little bit. Um, the brief on this plan is this right here. And it just talks about how they're going to provide oversight to all the money and the military assets that we're sending over to Ukraine to make sure they actually make it to where we're intending them to make it to. If it's true that Kolomoisky got raided because of corruption related to military surprise, supplies, then most likely that has to do with supplies from the U.S., that the DOD IG, as in Robert Storch, is overseeing, and we already know that we have U.S. troops there who are supposed to be monitoring um, supply military supplies that we're sending to that country. And right after this plan was announced, this plan was put out on January 18th. It was right at days after this that... All of those different people from Zelensky's administration resigned or got raided or got arrested for some sort of corruption. All those cabinet members and all these other people. And then Storch visits Ukraine. And a couple days later, Kolomoisky gets raided. So it's like correlation does not equal causation here, but... Sensing a pattern, you know, we're, we're seeing some dots and we can very easily connect these dots. Now, Dawson said, I bet he's regretting Zelensky for the presidency. I bet he's regretting supporting Zelensky, meaning Kolomoisky is regretting re supporting Zelensky for the presidency only to have him agree with Trump on the perfect phone call and keep his promises about draining the swamp in Kiev. This has been a disagreement I've had with Dawson. I haven't been on board with this. Zelensky is secretly good. Or let's not even go that far. Zelensky is secretly draining the swamp in Ukraine. <clears throat> but I started thinking about some more. I've been chewing on it and chewing on it. And... Let me find There's two audios.
two audios we need to to listen to. And where is the new one? I want the new one that Dan Bongino played. I may have to go to Dan Bongino's um, Rumble and grab it. So grab this. That's not what I want. Um, So this episode of Dan Bongino, I am not a regular listener of, listener of Dan Bongino, although I have nothing against him whatsoever. It's just his show is typically not my style, honestly. But this episode right here from five days ago, it's called Joe Biden is a foreign agent, just was excellent. And um, just really, really, really good. It's the best episode I've ever heard. Um of his show. And so I'm going to play that first because you need to hear this audio of Joe Biden talking to Poroshenko, the former president of Ukraine, who was president before Zelensky. Uh, Cause he says something really key here. And then we're going to listen to Trump's phone call. Lemoski who is sending money to Biden Inc. Oh yeah. That's the other thing I totally forgot about. Kolomoisky was part owner of Burisma while Hunter Biden was on the board collecting an easy paycheck. So Kolomoisky is also in bed with the Bidens as far as funding going to them, which is another reason why I think Joe Biden has flipped. And I think that we have Merrick Garland wrong, or a lot of people on the right do, because the indictments of Kolomoisky have come out and the seizing of his properties have happened under Biden and Garland. All right. Take a listen. Let me ask you one thing before I forget. Pravat Bank. Um, uh, I understand uh, the, uh, the, uh, the governor of the bank is, uh, is tentative about setting a date certain for the transition to take place. And I'm being told secondhand that I don't know this is her position for sure, that she is unsure of a date until she gets an agreement from you. I told, here's what I've told them. I've told them to get back to her and set a date and I would talk to you about the date. Um, because this is getting very, very close. What I don't want to have happen, I don't want Trump to get in the position where he thinks he's about to buy onto a policy where the financial system is going to collapse and he's going to be looked to to pour more money into Ukraine. That's how he'll think about it before he gets sophisticated enough to know the detail. So anything you can do to push the, the, the Pravat Bank uh, um, to closure so that the IMF loan comes forward I would respectfully suggest is critically important 
to your economic as well as physical security. I know it's difficult. I know Kolomorsky's a pain in the ass and a problem for everybody. That right there. I know it's difficult. I know that Kolomorsky is a pain in the ass and a problem for everybody. This is right after Kolomoisky, through Burisma, had been paying Hunter to be on the board. But now Kolomoisky's a pain in the ass? That's what, like, really caught me from this phone call is... How did Kolomoisky become a pain in Joe Biden's ass or a pain for everybody when he's swampy just like they are? Is he what's what's going on with that? And then with the IMF thing, he's wanting Ukraine to take the IMF loan and Privat Bank. But what ends up happening is Ukraine nationalizes Privat Bank and Kolomoisky is busted stealing two and a half billion dollars from it. But um, but it really is critical. Yeah, that's right, Mermaid Miss K. Yeah, Biden sounds fine there, guys. If you haven't figured it out, Biden's um dementia senility thing is a is an act. Biden's not having mental problems. Biden's not having a failing mind. Um, it's all an act. Now here is. Trump and Zelensky's perfect phone call, which happened after this. Okay. So that phone call was before this. This is after Zelensky wins. And this is um, his phone call with Trump reenacted because we don't have an audio of it. It's a staged reading. Congratulations on a great victory. We all watched from the United States and you did a terrific job. The way you came from behind somebody who wasn't given much of a chance and you ended up winning easily. It's a fantastic achievement. Congratulations. You are absolutely right, Mr. President. We did win big and we worked hard for this. We worked a lot, but I would like to confess to you that I had an opportunity to learn from you. We used quite a few of your skills and knowledge and were able to use it as an example for our elections. And yes, it is true that these were unique elections. We were in a unique situation that we were able to achieve a unique success. I'm able to tell you the following the first time. You called me to congratulate me when I won my presidential election. And the second time, you are now calling me when my party won the parliamentary election. I think I should run more often so you can call me more often and we can talk over the phone more often. (laughs) That's a very good idea. I think your country is very happy about that. Well, yes. To tell you the truth, we are trying to work hard because we wanted to drain the swamp here in our country. We brought in many, many new people. Not the old politicians, not the typical politicians, because we want to have a new format and a new type of government. You are a great teacher for us and in that. Well, it's very nice of you to... They didn't like that. The deep state in the swamp didn't like that. Zelensky telling Trump that they learned a lot from him and they brought in new people and they want to drain the swamp in their country. 
I kind of wonder if uh, that really put the fear in them. You just say that. I will say that we do a lot for Ukraine. We spend a lot of effort and a lot of time, much more than the European countries are doing, and they should be helping you more than they are. Germany does almost nothing for you. All they do is talk. And I think it's something that you should really ask them about. When I was speaking to Angela Merkel, she talks Ukraine, but she doesn't do anything. A lot of the European countries are the same way. So I think it's something you want to look at. But the United States has been very, very good to Ukraine. I wouldn't say that it's reciprocal necessarily because things are happening that are not good. But the United States has been very, very good to Ukraine. Yes. That's interesting. It's not reciprocal, but the United States has been very, very good to to Ukraine. You're absolutely right. Not only 100%, but actually 1,000%. And I can tell you the following. And he, Zelensky didn't disagree. Zelensky agreed with that characterization. I did talk to Angela Merkel, and I did meet with her. I also met and talked with Macron, and I told them that they are not doing quite as much as they need to be doing on the issues with the sanctions. They are not enforcing the sanctions. They are not working as much as they should work for Ukraine. It turns out that even though logically the European Union should be our biggest partner, but technically the United States is a much bigger partner than the European Union, and I'm very grateful to you for that because the United States is doing quite a lot for Ukraine. Much more than the European Union, especially when we are talking about sanctions against the Russian Federation. I would also like to thank you for your great support in the area of defense. We are ready to continue to cooperate for the next step specifically. We are almost ready to buy more javelins from the United States for defense purposes. I would like you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot and Ukraine knows a lot about it. I would like you to find out what happened with this whole situation with Ukraine. They say crowd strike. I guess you have one of your wealthy people. Uh, the server, they say Ukraine has it. There are a lot of things that went on the whole situation. I think you're surrounding yourself with some of the same people. I would like to have the Attorney General call you or your people, and I would like you to get to the bottom of it. As you saw yesterday, that whole nonsense ended with a very poor performance by a man named Robert... Mueller, an incompetent performance. But they say a lot of it started with Ukraine. Whatever you can do, it's very important that you do it if that's possible. Yes. Yes. Now they. Now this is where our deep state really got upset because of Trump asking about this. And one of the things I've come to understand now, or believe now, that I didn't understand back when this whole impeachment thing happened was that I think the hackers who did hack the DNC, there was a hack of the DNC, stop confusing two different things. The media purposely confuses you about what Seth Rich did and WikiLeaks and the emails and the hack that happened of the DNC. There was a hack. It was attributed to Russians. But I think... It's the classic thing that we've seen the media do where anything bad coming out of Ukraine, they blame it on Russians and not when it's really Ukrainians. And I think that what he's talking about with Ukraine is that that hack, it, that's why he's mentioning CrowdStrike, is that that leads to the DNC hack. And that hack is something that they wanted to have happen. Um. 
the DNC wanted to be hacked so they could set up the narrative of the Russians hacked the DNC for Trump. That's they wanted to set that up. And this is the trail that you're chasing down here with the server and CrowdStrike. It is very important for me and everything that you just mentioned earlier. For me as a president, it is very important and we are open for any future cooperation. We are ready to open a new page on cooperation relations between the United States and Ukraine. For that purpose, I just recalled our ambassador from the United States and he will be replaced by a very competent and very experienced ambassador who will work hard on making sure that our two nations are getting closer. I would also like and hope to see him having your trust and your confidence and have personal relations with you so he can cooperate even more so. I will personally tell you that one of my assistants spoke with Mr. Giuliani just recently, and we are hoping very much that Mr. Giuliani will be able to travel to Ukraine and we will meet once he comes to Ukraine. Yeah. So Giuliani did go to Ukraine and Giuliani did meet with some people and those people are now in jail because Giuliani ran a sting operation on them. I just wanted to assure you once again that you have nobody but friends around us. I will make sure that I surround myself with the best and most experienced people. I also wanted to tell you that we are friends. We are great friends. And you, Mr. President, have friends in our country, so we can continue our strategic partnership. I also plan to surround myself with great people. And in addition to that investigation, I guarantee as a president of Ukraine that all the investigations will be done openly and candidly. That I can assure you. Good, because I heard you had a prosecutor who was very good and he was shut down, and that's really unfair. A lot of people are talking about that, the way they shut your very good prosecutor down, and you had some very bad people involved. Mr. Giuliani is a highly respected man. He was the mayor of New York City, a great mayor, and I would like him to call you. I will ask him to call you along with the Attorney General. Rudy very much knows what's happening, and he is a very capable guy. If you could speak to him, that'd be great. The former ambassador from the United States, the woman, was bad news. And the people she was dealing with... Talking about Victoria Newland, I believe. Uh, the people that Giuliani put in jail through his uh, the evidence he gathered are Andre Durkacz and uh, Igor Fruman. ...in Ukraine were bad news. So I just want to let you know that. The other thing, there's a lot of talk about Biden's son that Biden stopped the prosecution and a lot of people want to find out about that. So whatever you can do with the attorney general would be great. Biden went around bragging that he stopped the prosecution. So if you can look into it, it, it sounds horrible to me. I wanted to tell you about the prosecutor. First of all, I understand and I'm knowledgeable about the situation. Since we have won the absolute majority in our parliament, the next prosecutor general will be 100% my person, my candidate who will be approved by the parliament and will start as a new prosecutor in September. He or she will look into the situation specifically to the company that you mentioned in this issue. The issue of the investigation of the case is actually the issue of making sure to restore the honesty. So we will take care of that and we'll work on the investigation of the case. On top of that, I would kindly ask you if you have any additional information that you can provide to us. It would be very helpful for the investigation to make sure that we administer justice in our country with regard to the ambassador to the United States from Ukraine. As far as I recall, her name was Ivanovich. It was great that you were the first one who told me that she was a bad ambassador because I agree with you 100%. Her attitude towards me was far from the best as she admired the previous president and she was on his side. She would not accept me as a new president well enough. Well... She's going to go through some things. 
I will have Mr. Giuliani give you a call, and I'm also going to have Attorney General Barr call, and we will get to the bottom of it. I'm sure you'll figure it out. I heard the prosecutor was treated very badly, and he was a very fair prosecutor, so good luck with everything. Your economy is going to get better and better, I predict. You have a lot of assets. It's a great country. I have many Ukrainian friends. They're incredible people. I would like to tell you that I also have quite a few Ukrainian friends that live in the United States. Actually, last time I traveled to the United States, I stayed in New York, near Central Park, and I stayed at the Trump Tower. I will talk to them, and I hope to see them again in the future. I also wanted to thank you for your invitation to visit the United States, specifically Washington, D.C. On the other hand, I also want to ensure you that we will be very serious about the case and will work on the investigation. As to the economy, there is much potential for our two countries, and one of the issues that is very important for Ukraine is energy independence. I believe we can be very successful in cooperating on energy independence with the United States. We are already working on cooperation. We are buying American oil, but I am very hopeful for a future meeting. We will have more time and more opportunities to discuss these opportunities and get to know each other better. I would like to thank you very much for your support. Good. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate that. I will tell Rudy and Attorney General Barr to call. Thank you. Whenever you would like to come to the White House, feel free to call. Give us a date and we'll work that out. I look forward to seeing you. Thank you very much. I would be very happy to come and would be happy to meet with you personally and get to know you better. I'm looking forward to our meeting and I also would like to invite you to visit Ukraine and come to the city of Kiev, which is a beautiful city. We have a beautiful country which would welcome you. On the other hand, I believe that on September 1st, we will be in Poland and we can meet in Poland hopefully. After that, it might be a very good idea for you to travel to Ukraine. We can either take my plane and go to Ukraine, or we can take your plane, which is probably much better than mine. Okay, we can work that out. I look forward to seeing you in Washington and maybe in Poland, because I think we're going to be there at that time. Thank you very much, Mr. President. Congratulations on a fantastic job you've done. The whole world was watching. I'm not sure it was so much of an upset, but congratulations. Thank you, Mr. President. Bye-bye. It hits different now. It, it just hits different now. And um, like I said, I find myself in the middle of a U-turn on my assessment of Zelensky. And hey, I may continue that U-turn and go right, just make a 180. I mean, a 360. I may make a 180, but I may keep going and go right into a 360 and go right back to where I was. But I'm not... I think it's, I, I, you know, I think it's a, it's a good exercise when you're, especially when you're, um, the thing is I'm going by my quote that is my, probably my favorite quote of all time, um, by Ayn Rand that when you find yourself facing a contradiction, well here, there, there are, there is no such thing as contradictions do not exist. Here, let me, let me quote it correctly since it's my favorite. Contradictions do not exist. When you find yourself facing a contradiction, check your premises. You will find that at least one of them is false. And I find myself because of the, um, because of this latest corruption crackdown that's going on in Ukraine, and particularly the raid of Kolomoisky and the timing of it with the DOD IG visit. Um, and a number of other things here and there, I, I go back and visit this phone call 
and then listening to Biden talk about Kolomoisky's a pain in the butt. I find myself thinking there's some contradictions here and um, I need to check my premise. And my premise had been that Zelensky is bad, bad, bad Nazi supporter um, has done terrible things to his country and I can list off a ton of things that were reported early on in the war about moves he made, which were bad for his country. But now I find, pardon me, I find myself thinking about, well, wait a minute. Were those psy acts and psy ops? Was that fake news? Because I think... I think the war and the conflict in Ukraine is real, but we know for a fact there are things about it that are fake. We know for a fact. We know that the ghost of Kiev is fake. We know that much of the reporting about Ukraine's successes militarily are fake. We know that um, the missile that they launched into Poland and blamed on Russia, and the media blamed it on Russia immediately, was fake. Um, there's a ton of things that have happened that you're like, okay, this war has a lot of fake stuff going on. I remember covering it very early on, and us tracking down various uh, stuff online that reports from the conflict that turned out to be completely false, so there were things about it that just didn't match up well. Um So the conflict's real, but <laughs> yeah, all the all the OnlyFans models that are dressing up as soldiers, yeah, <laughs> that's right, Miss Lori. Um, there's tons of fake stuff, so I'm like, okay, I need to revisit what I think of this fake rifles. Yeah, um. How much, you know, at the same time that there was a an op to get all the NPCs in the community to, or in the in America to support the current thing, you know, and all put Ukraine flags in their their bios and whatnot. Um, was there also another influence operation being run to turn our community against Zelensky, so that we wouldn't see through some of this? Um, I don't know, guys. Like, I'm literally just telling you that these are things I'm considering right now, and I'm reassessing my view of Zelensky. And I'm, you know, Karma, Karma Patriot, and I, <clears throat> pardon me, have butted heads over this for a long time. Well, I guess for a year now, or just about. Karma and I have butted heads over Zelensky, um, re- respectfully so. Um. It's it's all good, but I, you know, karma, karma is is a special squirrel and is a very good, very good digger. And um, um, she has stuck to her take on this, um, in a way in a way that that I admire. I got to say, I admire it, Karma. Um, we've been pretty far apart on this. And uh, managed to disagree respectfully. And I think that right now, after some stuff that 
some of this, this latest, latest developments, I find myself saying, Hmm, I need to take a step back and, and think about this, uh, reconsider it. And like I said, I may, I may come back around and, and have the same take again, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, special, special squirrel. <laughs> All right, fam. That's my show for today. I gotta, I gotta run. I got a kid to go pick up and got to go back on dad duty. So if you enjoyed today's show, please hit the thumbs up over on rumble and share it. Uh, links to support the show and support what I do are in the description. Buy me a coffee, my sub stack, my merch, Vincent honey farms, rep code, just human, all the ways you can support the show. If you want to do that are there it is a user-supported show, so I appreciate it very much because that's what makes the show possible is your support. Um, thank you all very much. I enjoyed th- this morning's show and enjoyed reading y'all's chat. I saw someone ask about how Defected did last night. I don't. It hasn't come up in the Rumble rankings last I checked. Um, it takes like, I don't know, 12 to 24 hours before the rankings get rebooted or reset or whatever. So I haven't seen it come up, but if you missed Defected last night, check it out. Give it a thumbs up as well. And uh, yeah, remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. And I am more confident of that than ever. Y'all have a blessed day, and I will see you on Wednesday morning for uh, the next episode. Have a great one.